Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Who knows? Who knows? Today we look at the story of Gideon. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Judges, the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. The scripture will be in front of you. And uh, as we turn to the word of the Lord, let's open our hearts in prayer. Uh, Lord, through this story, through this, your holy word, speak to us this morning words that we need to hear, words from you, Lord, that teach us about who you are in our lives and help us to hear and to believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. Hear the word of the Lord. And if I pronounce everything right in that first verse, we'll know God, we'll know God is at work. 11 to 18. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. <laughs> Thank you. So such a supportive church. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We got it. When an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, "The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. We're grateful for the word of the Lord. Amen? Some of the best stories guys tell begin with someone saying, watch this. I'm going to pin this on us guys. I don't, women might, might have a similar pattern, I'm not sure. But with guys, some of the best stuff happens right after somebody says, watch this. A uh, number, number of years ago, my dad came to visit us when we were living in Charlottesville, Virginia, and we decided to go uh, mountain biking up through the mountains, and we got going fairly well, you know, and trucking along, and then we came to a point in the trail where a, a tree had fallen blocking the trail, blocking our progress. My dad, as we stopped and looked at it, turned to me and said, watch this. Now, my dad is an extremely capable man, always has been, very strong. He's a, 
uh, Army Ranger, Airborne Ranger, Company Commander in Vietnam, a lawyer, a, a rock climber, ice climber, mountaineer, just extremely capable guy. So when my dad, you know, turned to me and said, watch this, I thought, okay. And off he went, down the hill toward the tree. And, he, and what he tried to do is he tried to bunny hop the bike over uh, the tree. He tried. <laughs> and the chain, uh, it's called the chain rail, where the, where the chain goes along the pedals, it slammed right into the trunk of the tree and stuck there, jamming the bike into the tree. So the bike stopped suddenly. My dad kept going <laughs> and tumbled head over, head over heels over the tree. It was all I could do to keep from laughing as I rushed up to find him, you know, down in the brush, just fine. And I said, watch this, huh? <laughs> then, of course, I got us lost, and we had to, to get home riding our bike along a four-lane highway. Anyway, <laughs> it was a great day. But that's one of my favorite watch this stories. How many of you have a watch this story? Come on. You can, you can share it after worship with your, with your friend. Watch this. Watch this. Watch what I can do in my strength. Watch this. There's something in all of us that wants to go through life in our own strength, independent, self-sufficient, Pastor Katie was up here teaching a couple of weeks ago and she talked about tombstones that have the Latin word resurgum on them, I shall rise again. And it reminded me of um, what we would call the, the tombstone exercise, the epitaph exercise, where maybe someone's challenged you with this, where you stop and you sort of think, what do I want uh, written there? What do I want people to say about me after I've passed? What will be my, my legacy? And we've kind of got this idea. We want people, as part of us wants people, you know, sort of gathered around and, and talking about all of our victories, talking about all of our accomplishments, saying things like, you know, he conquered every challenge he met. He couldn't find a way to lose. His strength, his resilience, his power was unmatched. I heard when he was 33, he sat down on a rock and wept for there were no more lands to conquer, right? Like Alexander the Great. But is that really what we want on our gravestones? Is that really what we want? He did what he could do in his strength. Is that a legacy? You know what I want? You know what I want? Well, first of all, I mean, it should be... Something like, you know, it should say helpless sinner saved by Jesus. That would be very fitting. But you know what I want? I want God did amazing things. I don't want to come to the end of my story and have people say, Tim did all he could do in his power. Boo, I mean, that's terrible. What I want is God did amazing things. God did beautiful, eternal things. God did more things for his glory through that life. Oh, isn't that what you want? 
See, when your story is your story, it only goes on for so long. But when your story is God's story, when God's story is your story, then you get to be a part of something eternal, something that changes the world, something that goes on and on and lasts forever. People say because his story was God's, because she belonged to to Jesus, because her life belonged to God, Jesus did things through her. You couldn't write enough epic poems, you couldn't write enough songs or books to describe the beauty of what God did through her life. That's, That's a story. I want a story that gives God the glory. A story that gives God the glory, not in my strength, but by his power it was done. A story where God gets the glory. We look today at Gideon, and I only read you that little passage as a primer, uh, and I pronounced it exactly right. You can ask a, a 12th century Hebrew. You can read this story. I only read you this passage as a primer because I want to talk about the whole story of Gideon as we talk about God is in our story, our story is in God. And the greatest story is when God gets the glory. So we meet Gideon when he's a young man and he is threshing wheat in a wine vat. This is not convenient. Wine vats in the ancient world, they were holes in the ground where they were lined with stone. That's where you press the wine. And so he's down in a hole threshing wheat. Threshing wheat is when you, you beat uh, grains of wheat and you throw the, them up in the air and the, the wind is supposed to blow the chaff away. The shell around the grain is supposed to blow away. So if you're doing that, you know, down in a hole, Gideon is stuck down in a hole threshing wheat. Why? Because he's hiding from the Midianite raiders. This is 12th century BC now when the people of God are struggling to occupy the land that God had brought them to and set aside for them. It's the time between the exodus and and the monarchy. And the people of God had obedience problems. And every time they turned and disobeyed, they turned away from God, bad things happened. So we enter into the story, we meet Gideon, who's threshing wheat in the middle of a hole because at this time the disobedience of the people and their turning to the worship of of false gods and idols had brought them to a place where God allowed the Midianites to oppress them and to take over the land. And every time they amassed any resources, every time they got any grain together or any fruits together, anything at all, the Midianite raiders would come and take it from them. And so here's Gideon down in a hole trying to thresh wheat where he can't be seen. Ever try to hide from your problems? Just checking. And then an angel of the Lord comes. Then God shows up. Now Gideon clearly doesn't know this is an angel because instead of throwing himself down on the ground in reverence, he sort of pipes up like a like a teenager, he mouths off at him. And after a nice greeting from the angel, the Lord be with you, here's Gideon, verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, see the angel comes and says, Lord be with you. It's just just like saying hello, you know. It's like someone sneezes and you say, God bless you. And he turns around and says, God bless me. 
Are you kidding me? And here comes what, what Gideon has to say. If the Lord is with me, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us over into the hand of Midian. Excuse me, he says, but everything that I can see stinks and it's all God's fault. That's where Gideon is. This is not the most famous part of Gideon's story. It's not. But I wanted you to see it. I wanted us to start there. It's the beginning. I wanted you, do you see this? I wanted you to see this frustrated young man. This young man frustrated down in the pit who's angry with God. He's upset with God. He's disappointed with God. It hasn't worked out the way that he wanted it to work out. And this young man, this angry young man, he's thinking to himself, if I could just pile up some wheat, if I could just amass some resources, if I could just get enough money together, well, then I would have power to change things. If I could just amass a little bit, then I would have agency. I would have potential. I would have a future. But darn it, God doesn't seem to allow me to get two nickels to rub together. And he's in a place of frustration. I have no strength, so I have no story, he thinks. But listen now, God moves in when we have no strength to write a story that gives him the glory. God moves in when we have no strength to write a story that gives him the glory. The angel tells Gideon he's the one to save Israel. Now Gideon is a a reluctant savior redeemer. He's not Sure, he's up for this. He thinks little of himself. In fact, he says in our passage, he says, I'm, you got the wrong guy. I'm the least of the sons of the least of the families of the least of the tribes. There's nothing here to save Israel with. So Gideon goes down this track where he needs reassurance. He lays out the famous fleece of, of wool and says, Lord, I'll only know it's you if you make the fleece wet with dew and everything else stays dry. And it happens. But he's still not, he's still not there. Oh, wait, wait a minute, Lord. I'll only know it's you if you make the fleece wet and you keep everything else, you know, dry. You make everything else wet and you keep the fleece dry. Well, then I'll know it's you if you do. And so God does it again. See, Gideon is not a, a, an easy risk taker. He's not, he's not ready to jump. But when God makes it clear, Gideon does move. He gives himself over into God's hands. God tells him to go and to tear down the idols, the the false idols that are keeping people in chains spiritually, that are pulling them away from God, and and he does it at great risk to himself. When God makes it clear to Gideon, he moves, he goes. And his story goes on, again, you can read it, Judges 6 through 7, but he goes on and he, he raises a, a makeshift army from all the towns around him. He gathers 32,000 people. That's not bad. That's not a bad army to gather together. But we can estimate that the Midianites were over 120,000. And so even as he gathers this army, Gideon is about to lead a battle outnumbered by four to one. 
And then God subtracts. Judges 7, 2 says, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver your Midian into their hands, or else what? Or else Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. We want a story that leaves us the glory, but when God writes a story, He gets the glory. Don't you want to be part of something that only God can accomplish? Don't you want to be a part of something in your life that's so, so awesome, so profound, only God could do it. It would only work if God showed up to, to bring it about. It, it could only happen if God did it. No credit could possibly go anywhere else. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? Well, it's a little scary going in. Gideon had his 32,000 And God reduced Gideon's army from 32,000 to 10,000 just by asking, so who's scared? 22,000 walked away. And then Judges 7, 4. The Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. What? I mean, we were first, first we were four to one, now we're 12 to one, and you're saying there's, there's too many men? God says there's, there's still too many men. Why? You might still think you did this. There's still too many men. Take them down to the water. I'll thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Just do what I say. And God trims it down again. He trims it down to 300 that lapped water uh, from their hands. Verse seven, the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Do you see? You see, now we're there. With this amount, God says, I will save you. I will save you. Hey, do you want to live in your own strength? Do you want to see what you can do in your own strength? Or do you want to see what God can do by his might in your weakness? He says, I will save you. Here's what happened. God sent dreams into the Midianite army to unsettle them, and they were all talking about these dreams, these strange, similar dreams they had in their camps, and they started thinking maybe they'd underestimated the Hebrews. Maybe there's a whole lot more to that army than we thought there was. And so the next night, the 300 that are following Gideon went into the camp with a trumpet in one hand and and a torch covered by a clay pot in the other hand. They each carried each. You see, The armies, they would have trumpeters and they would have torch bearers, but they would have maybe one for a platoon. But each of the 300 carried each of these items. And you see that with each of these items in hand, they don't even have a free hand to reach for their sword. Soldiers going into the combat zone without a hand to grasp a weapon. And in they go. And at exactly the same time, 
At exactly the same time, they smash the pots, releasing the flood of light, and they blow the trumpets all at once, and the flood of light, and the flood of sound, and the reverberations, and the fear that God had instilled in the hearts of the Midianite army. They all flood against this army, and they run for the hills, scared to death. Never underestimate the power of a group, a body of people doing one thing in single purpose. I heard recently that Barcelona suffers a small earthquake every time Lionel Messi scores a goal. (laughs) Because everybody in the city jumps up and down at once and it registers its seismic and seismic activity. Friends, don't underestimate what God can do when his church, the body of Christ, is willing to move forward in one direction, in one purpose, for his glory. Amen. The Midianites flee, and God gives them over. Off they go. And it's not Gideon's glory. In this story, God gets the glory. Nobody could turn around and say, you know, we did it. He had to say, the Lord, the Lord has saved us. Gideon's story, you see, because he's obedient to God, Gideon's story is in God's story. And when God writes a story, he gets the glory. So I ask you, have you ever been reduced in strength. Have you ever come to a place in your life where you're sapped, where the waves are coming over you so, so large, you wonder if you can keep your breath, where you're at the end of your rope, you're at the end of your strength? Have you ever known the limits of your agency and power and influence where you say, I I can't. I can't. Where you see, you come to the situation and you just look at it and it breaks your heart and you say, I can't. God, if you don't show up, if you don't turn up, if you don't move, then all is lost. I was talking to a, an elder here at First Pres, Gary Sugar, he shared his story with us. Gary knew Jesus as a child, wandered away from Jesus as a young man and then had a moment Running hard at a career in the Air Force, a young marriage, pregnant wife, Gary had a premonition that a challenge was coming. And he was right. His son was born blind. Then his wife was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And then his second son was diagnosed with diabetes. Subtraction. Strength reduced. Out of my hands, out of my control. Agency limited. Where was God? You know, God, if you're with me, if you're with me, why is all this happening to us? And Gary wrote this. He wrote, while I didn't attend church on a regular basis, I now realize God never stopped trying to have a relationship with me. And then there was the day in the 1990s 
when I was trying to keep three balls in the air at the same time with my wife and inpatient at Penrose Hospital getting chemotherapy for her ovarian cancer, my youngest son hospitalized at the Air Force Academy as a newly diagnosed type 1 diabetic, and my oldest son trying to deal with all the turmoil with his normal support network fractured. My drive home from the hospital that day started my realization that as much as I wanted to be in control, I needed to let God be in control. Listen to this now. This is what Gary writes. I had allowed my faith to fade by trying to be in control of the events of my life. Hey, do you want to see what you can do in your power? Or do you want to see what God can do by his strength and by his power when you reach out to him and give him your life and he operates? Not by my strength, but by your power, Lord. Well, Gary lost his wife to cancer in 1997. But he renewed his faith in Christ and met and eventually married Harriet, who many of you know. His children are fine. In fact, his son, who can't see, now works with Microsoft's accessibility programs in Seattle and is married and loves the Lord. Gary serves as an elder and a trustee here, helping us to continue to pursue the will of the Lord. You see, what do you, what do you want? Do you want to see what you can do in your strength or do you want to see what God can do as his, in his? And, and what do you want for your church? Do you want your church to just go along only doing those things that we can definitely accomplish by our strength, by our power? Or, or do you want to see how God overcomes the challenge when we take on things that only God could do for his glory? So quickly, how do we live with our story in God's story? Let me say four things, and maybe as the series continues, we can uh, touch back on some of these. I want to say four things quickly to you. Four ways to put your story in God's story. Number one, worship. Friends, worship is, is a thousand cures at once. When we come into worship, this is our time to see that the glory of God is a beautiful thing. This is the training ground of your soul, your body, your mind, and your spirit to bring glory to God, to love God, to say, God is God and I'm not. God is in his power and strength. I'm in my weakness. God is my Savior. He's my Lord of my life. Worship. Worship trains us again and again to say, my story and your story, Lord, your will, not mine, be done. Worship. Number two, prayer. Again, daily, constant, turning to the Lord again and again, walking with them, talking to the Lord as you walk through life, saying, not by my strength, by your strength, Lord. I belong to you. I'm in your power. Let me walk with you. Let me know your strength. Prayer. Number three, generous giving. Are you, are you afraid? Are you reluctant to honor God with a full tithe because you're scared it will reduce things well yes it it reduces you know the number on your checking account goes down I'm sure you've noticed that when you give to the Lord 
But as you invest, as you engage in the discipline of investing regularly in the kingdom of God and his work, the discipline of it sets your monetary resources, all of them, before the Lord God again in ways that says, God, I don't want to be tempted to rely on my own resources and strength. And I recognize, by the way, that all this came from you. I mean, it all came from you, all this blessing. And so I I return to you your tithe and offerings above and beyond because I don't want to be tempted to rely on it as though the money I have amassed gives me power, gives me strength, gives me security or agency. Lord, I don't want to be tempted, so I dedicate it to you. Reduce. You may just be reducing right into the strength of the Lord. Worship, prayer, generous giving. Number four, generous living. Your time. Time is the most precious resource you have. You say, Lord, I don't have time. I don't have time to, to serve in the parking ministry at First Pres. I don't have time to, to be in the lives of kids up in the Connection Center. I don't have time to be investing in teenagers' lives across the street at Weber Street. I don't have time to, to come in and serve at VBS. Lord, I don't, I don't have time for these things. If I give that time away, if I reduce my time, you know, I'm not gonna be able to, uh, to, to watch that Netflix series I wanted to binge, you know? I'm not going to have time to uh, do all these other things. No. Generous living. I've never had anyone tell me they regretted a dollar they devoted to the Lord. And I'm telling you, you will not get to the end of your life and regret the time you gave to serve Him. Friends, imagine all of us reduced like Gideon. Imagine a church, a body of believers together reduced into the strength of God. No longer operating on our strength but by His power. Do you want to see what you can do in your power or do you want to see what God can do in your life by His power through your weakness? But he writes a story for His glory Worship the Lord, pray to the Lord, give generously, live generously. What you fear will reduce your resources will put you right into the hands of the living God, the Father from whom all blessings flow, the limitless one, the almighty one. You'll be reduced right into his strength. And when you feel weak and when you feel frail, you throw yourself into the arms of Jesus who said, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls, and he will pick you up, and he will carry you. In him, your story is his story to his glory. Let's pray. So, Lord, we pray. We pray that you would do something in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would do something in our lives this week. That you would do it in your power. And grant us the grace to see it, Lord, as your hand at work and to give you the glory. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our only Savior, our only Redeemer, 
our friend. To his name be all glory and honor and power, now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.